this morning, if you will turn with me as we come to God's word, to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, there are some on the back, uh, bookshelves back there, that you can use to follow along with uh, and listen, or uh, just to, I was going to say, look over the shoulder to the person next to you, but in these, this day, that's probably not all that, uh, that good a suggestion. Just follow along. So we have been working uh, in these last few weeks uh, through a series I've called Adventures with God and uh, working our way through just a number of some of our favorite Old Testament passages and, and people and uh, gleaning some lessons of, of faith and life from, uh, from these people. We began looking at uh, Joseph and saw that God is working in our life in difficult times and using those difficulties for his glory and for our good. We looked at, at Gideon and uh, saw that uh, bravery or courage in the Bible isn't really bravado, but just obedience, learning to follow God even when we find ourselves afraid. And then last week we looked at that great story of David and Goliath and uh, drew the lesson from there last week to live for God's glory or a passion for God's glory. Uh, today we're going to head to the, the next one, which is, is Solomon. Um, we've still got a, a couple more we'll look at before we jump into the Gospel of John in February uh, as we go through. But this morning we're going to talk a little bit about Solomon and particularly Solomon's request for wisdom. Solomon is known even throughout the world for his, his great wisdom this is a story, and the reason I've included it here is not because it's a story of adventure or, or a, a great moment in, in life that, that was uh, adventurous or exciting, but the, I, I put this one in here because this is a moment in Solomon's life particularly, which had a big impact on me as a young person. Uh, you know, some of the times when I heard this as a, a, a child and as a teenager made an impact on me about what it was to live for God, what it was to pursue God. And so I included this one because of the impact it had on my life um, throughout the many years. Um, that is not a claim, by the way, that, uh, that I am a wise person. It is a pursuit uh, I continue to make. But as we look here and as we consider and come to Solomon, before we read our passage in 1 Kings 3, let me just give you the background of where we're at when we come to this passage. David, the great king, has died. He has lived, he has done, uh, served God's purpose in his generation, as we're told in Acts, and he has, he's died at this point, and he has passed the kingdom by God's command and by God's wishes and desire. He has passed the kingdom to his son Solomon. Of course, David had a number of other sons, uh, but the kingdom was passed to Solomon to be king. Now, this made uh, some waves amongst David's family, and uh, most of the sons of David were not happy with the way this transpired, and that Solomon of all the sons should be king. And so that meant this was not a peaceful transition of power. Uh, and as you read through chapter 2 of 1 Kings, you can see some of that uh, turmoil and some of the battles and things that, that went on. This was not an easy time for the transition from King David to King Solomon. And so although we 
often know Solomon as the king who served and, and brought great peace to the nation of Israel. It didn't start in great peace. Um, so that's where we're at. The, Solomon has uh, dealt mostly now with the insurrections from his family and is now getting ready to establish himself as king. And so we begin here in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read through the first 15 verses. It says here, And Solomon made affinity or a pact, a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, Neither hast asked for riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem, and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all uh, his servants. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. We pray, dear God, as we come, that indeed we would find wisdom. Guide us and strengthen us and lead us into understanding which is beyond our years. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is one of those great passages. Imagine for a moment if, let's say... Um, Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos happened to come into your life somehow and said to you, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. Now there is somebody who, uh, uh, you know, these men, they have resources beyond our, our, our imagination that they could 
give us anything we want. What, what would we ask for? I mean, here's people who are the richest in the world. They have resources they give. What would we ask for? Now, imagine the same question asked to you by Almighty God. The God who created everything. The God who has everything at his disposal and is uh, over all things. What would you ask for if that God came to you and said, what do you want? Perhaps some would be like uh, Jafar from Aladdin and, and say, I want unlimited power. There's probably a thousand things we might come to our mind. For a young man like Solomon, so Solomon at this point is about 20, somewhere around that, that age, about 20. For a young man at about 20, this is a very tempting question, especially for a young man about 20 who rules a nation. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's just come through a difficult time with his family and kingdom, and then God comes to him and says, Solomon, what do you want? Notice God's question doesn't say, what do you want within this parameter? God says, ask, what do you want? Imagine the temptation that would, would bring. But his request or his answer to that request is, as we all know so well and as we've just read here, is a request for wisdom. And there is important lessons in seeing this here. Now, notice though also... And we know this because we, you know, for those of us that are familiar with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and even the rest of, of Kings, we know that Solomon was godly. He was a godly man and he was extremely wise, but he was not perfect. And we see that already from the beginning. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 3 shows us the stage is being set already for what would be his downfall. He makes an alliance with Egypt by taking to wife the daughter of Pharaoh. This would be a pattern he would continue through his life. Of course, we know he would have this massive harem of wives and concubines in his life. And so already we see aspects of his life that are going to bring his downfall. It tells us also that he worshiped in high places. Now, just to clarify this, because often when we read through the Old Testament, we see and we understand that when it says that people worship in high places, we think idolatry. Uh, this is not idolatry. Uh, so Solomon's not worshipping other gods here. Um, Israel, when they had come into many of these places, had taken the high places of worship, the people that were there, and they had rededicated them to places of worship for God. And so they would worship God in these high places. Because, as we know from even verse 2 and from Second Chronicles chapter 1, at this point, there is no temple. The temple hasn't been built. Solomon is going to build that. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant has been brought back to Jerusalem and is sitting in a tent that David put up. But the tabernacle and the altar are in, um, uh, where are they? They are in um, Gibeon, it says here. So when it says that Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice, that's, he's there. And he's there to sacrifice. Now this was not the way God intended it to be. And they shouldn't have been uh, sacrificing to God in these ways. But in their attempts to serve God, that's how they were doing it. So let's learn this morning a little bit about uh, wisdom and some of the lessons we can learn from Solomon in his unique encounter with God. God asks him in verse 5, 
What do you want? And the answer that Solomon gives to that is to be wise. To be wise. By God's provision of inspiration and, uh, and uh, protection of his word, we have much of Solomon's wisdom recorded. So when he asks to be wise, and when we speak about what wisdom is and what true wisdom is in the Bible, what do we mean by wisdom? Well, in our world, we have an understanding and we have definitions of what wisdom is. Often wisdom is associated with uh, people that have experience. Okay, they're experienced in this certain area. They have wisdom to offer because they've lived that life. They've done the job. They know. And so we would say, well, there is some wisdom there. Perhaps uh, we even associate wisdom with people that know a lot of things, have a broad range of knowledge and, or, or act in a respectable way. Or maybe simply we think of uh, wisdom as uh, the people who have gray hair. Um, so that makes me completely dumb because I have no gray hair at all. But let's consider what God thinks wisdom is because that's where we're at. We're not really worried about what other people think or what definitions we may have. We want to find out when the Bible speaks of wisdom, what does God mean when he says wisdom? In Proverbs, we know over and over again, it says uh, on a number of occasions that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs, of course, is, is predominantly the writings of Solomon. But if we consider the, even what Jesus says of wisdom and how Jesus defines wisdom, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, this is amongst the, the parable story he tells of the, the wise man who builds on the rock and the foolish man who builds on the sand. And in the midst of that story, that parable, he says this, Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them... I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So as Solomon describes it in Proverbs and as Jesus describes it here in Matthew, true wisdom needs both knowledge and action. Knowledge and action. Pastor uh, John Piper, I think, sums it up well when he speaks of wisdom. He says, a good definition of godly wisdom, therefore, would be hearing and doing God's word. So if we we're going to have a simple definition of what biblical wisdom is, or what true wisdom is, it's this, hearing and doing God's word. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24. So wisdom isn't about age. And wisdom isn't about experience. Wisdom can be gained by the young as well. Which is why this is one of these passages that made such a big impact on me as a young person. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, don't let anybody look down on you based on your age, but be an example of wisdom, be an example of godliness. So no matter what age you are, you can gain wisdom. You can live wisely. Because wisdom isn't just about what to do, but wisdom is about why we do what we do. Which brings us here to this thought as we consider what it is to be wise. Wisdom starts with worship. Wisdom starts with worship. 
in Proverbs, we know over and over again, it says, as I mentioned, at the heart of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts. So true wisdom isn't just about making good decisions. True wisdom is about making godly decisions. The heart of wisdom is the worship of God. So wisdom, then, is directly linked to my relationship with God. Directly linked. That's why bringing up our children in the way of God is so important. Your children are learning about God by watching the decisions that you make. Reading the Bible with them. Bringing them to church. Singing. Being forgiving and compassionate in the way we interact with them. All of those things is teaching them how to be wise. Because they are watching our relationship with God worked out in their lives. Now, if you want to be wise, so if, as the question comes, what can we get from God? And we want to answer, like Solomon, to be wise, how can we attain wisdom? Seek wisdom. If you want to be wise, seek wisdom. In verse 9 of our text, God has asked Solomon the question, and the answer Solomon gives in part here in verse 9 is, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Many, I think, fall into the trap of thinking that wisdom is for a special few. Oh, they are, they're a wise person. I wish I could be wise like that. Wisdom, however, is easier to come by than many people think. How did Solomon come to wisdom? He asked for it. How do we come to wisdom? Ask for it. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not or without reproach or insult. That is, if you ask God for wisdom, he's not going to say, what? No, you're ridiculous. Let him ask of God that gives liberally and it shall be given him. Ask of God and God will give wisdom. Often the only time we think of asking for wisdom is when we have a decision to make. We come to a place and we think, I need to make a decision and, and I need wisdom to make this decision. When we get to that point, when we get to the point where we're at a decision and we need wisdom to make that decision and we're asking for wisdom then, it's too late. We have waited too long. That's what people do who want to make good decisions. People who want to make good decisions wait until the moment of the decision to ask for wisdom. We, why don't we pursue something better than that? Let's aim to be wise people. So let's not aim to just make wise decisions. Let's aim to be wise people. There's a difference there. Someone who just wants to make wise decisions is going to make their decisions and seek wisdom in moments. Someone who is seeking to be a wise person is going to have wisdom to make decision no matter what the moment. They are changing their character. God is not hiding wisdom from us. In fact, in Proverbs, as, as Solomon describes it, Proverbs chapter 1 and, and a couple of other places, 
he describes wisdom uh, as walking through the streets, crying out, I'm here, I'm here, come get me. So God is not trying to hide wisdom from us. So desire wisdom. Wisdom is available. And it does come by asking. But don't mistake that and think that, the, that that's all it is, that it's available and we just have to ask. Just because it comes by asking does not mean it doesn't come with work. It does take work to find wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 2, again, Solomon writes to us here in, in verse 1 of Proverbs 2, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So even though he says search for her like hid treasures, he's not saying that God has hid wisdom. He's saying that's the, the intent of your heart. Seek for wisdom as if you're seeking for a sunken treasure. Work for it. Pursue it. Desire it. You want to have wisdom, desire it, pursue it. Understand your need for wisdom and its importance. In Proverbs 4, 7, Solomon says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. This is when we begin to understand wisdom is more than just right decisions. Wisdom is the pursuit of godliness. If God would come to you today with the same question as he came to Solomon, would you want wisdom more than anything else? So that then brings, at least us this morning, to this next question. How can I be wise? How can I be wise? Now, we can't possibly cover the whole space of what it means here to be wise, so we're going to just look at a few thoughts here about what it means and how we can be wise, taking some examples from Solomon here. But the first thing that we need to understand in how we can be wise is, one, admit you need wisdom. Admit you need wisdom. Recognize your need for wisdom. Solomon's words are, are healthy. You know, in verse 6 through, through 8, when he answers, he is humble. He recognizes that he is not up to the task. God, you have made me king over your people, and I cannot do this. I'm just a kid. I need your help. So stop trying to prove that you can do it. We're, we're, we're not ruling kingdoms like Solomon was. But the life that God has called us to, to live for him, to serve God in this world. The life that God has called us to is beyond our ability. We cannot live the way God intends us to live on our own. We are constantly out of our depth in pursuing godliness. And I can tell you that from experience because I am constantly out of my depth. And this is what we need to recognize. If we're going to seek wisdom, we need to understand and come to the recognition that I cannot do what God is asking me to do. I need him. So reject your own wisdom. 
wisdom and worship begin when I submit myself to God. Stop trying to prove that I can do it on my own, that I know better. Solomon, who knew better, said, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Wisdom recognizes that I'm not always going to know the right thing to do or the right thing to say in a situation. That without help, my life isn't going to make God look good. So firstly, admit you need wisdom. Secondly, follow God's instruction. Wisdom comes from above. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. James 1.5, which we read before, says that wisdom is from God. Ask God and God will give. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and what? He will direct your path. Wisdom comes from God. To desire wisdom is to desire God. So wisdom is also passed on. As God gives us wisdom, as wisdom comes to us from God, we are then able to teach that to those around us. Wisdom can and should be passed on. What I learn in pursuing God must be passed on to those around me. So here is how God has taught me to pursue him. Let me help you understand how to pursue. That's why the Bible tells children to obey your parents. It tells children to obey your parents not because it's authoritarian, but because your parents are teaching you how to pursue God. That's why Proverbs uh, 1 tells us that, that we're to obey our parents, but that, uh, that's condition that our parents are wise to listen to the instruction of our fathers and hear the instruction of our mothers is based on the verses that come before that in Proverbs 1.7, which assume that our fathers and mothers are pursuing God. As we pursue God, we are teaching those around us, including our children, how to pursue God. So, admit you need wisdom. Follow God's instruction. Thirdly, keep seeking wisdom. Keep growing. Solomon teaches us much about wisdom, but he didn't know all this when he asked. And so we have Proverbs. And we have Ecclesiastes. And in those books, we, we have a wealth of information about what it means to be wise. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon asks for wisdom, he didn't know all of that. He grew into it. He learned all of those things, which we have recorded in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Verse 9, where Solomon asks for wisdom and an understanding heart, it reminds me of verses like Colossians chapter 1. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding is we need to pray for ourselves and for each other to grow in wisdom and understanding. To keep growing in our pursuit. The Bible 
does not address every possible situation you are going to be in. The Bible does not have in here who you're going to marry. It does not have in here what decision you should make when you're faced with the choice of this job or that job. The Bible does not have the answer to which car you should buy or where you should buy a house. The Bible does not have all of those things in it. What it does have is what we need to help us make those decisions. To understand how to apply God's word in those ways. So we have to grow. We have to learn how to use God's instruction in every circumstance. How to apply God's word. In verse 9 of our text here, it says, Solomon says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. Understanding literally means hearing. He's asking, give me a hearing or a listening heart. He's asking, help me to be soft and humble. That's what that, that statement means, to be soft and humble. To have a heart that is listening to learn how to use God's word. So hold on to wisdom. Solomon writes again in Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 18, he says of wisdom, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. You know, as we come to the end of the text that we read here in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Kings 3, verse 14 says, And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Many miss the importance of this verse. Much like we've seen with others like Gideon, this verse, verse 14, is an admonition for us, an encouragement for us to be diligent and to be careful. To keep pursuing wisdom. Never get settled. Never think we've found the answer. Never think we've attained. Keep pursuing. As quickly as we grow in wisdom, we can squander it. Look at the life of Solomon. Remember, wisdom is founded in our relationship with God. And we know how Solomon's life ended up. So let, let wisdom always be the principal thing. Proverbs 2, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. You'll find safety and protection from stupid things by pursuing wisdom. So lastly, as we take a quick glance and brushing look at what it is to be wise, our last question is this, what does a wise person look like? What does a wise person look like? Well, if we go back to where we started here at the beginning, I read to you some words of Jesus in Matthew 7, therefore whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So firstly, a wise man is godly. Someone who hears and does the word of God. To begin, it means true wisdom is unknowable apart from Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ, true wisdom cannot be known. 
it is unable to be known. To get wisdom, you must have Jesus. There is no other way. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24 says, But we preach Christ crucified, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom begins with God. It is founded in worship of him. Now that's not to say that if you are outside of Christ, that if you are unsaved, that you cannot make good decisions. You can make good decisions outside of Christ, but those good decisions are entirely temporal. They have no lasting value, no eternal significance. As a person outside of salvation in Jesus Christ, we are without hope. God promises to those that come to him in faith, he will give wisdom. So it begins with believing that Jesus is the only way to God. It begins by recognizing that I am needy, that I am helpless. Wisdom and to seek Christ and find wisdom recognizes that I've rejected God to pursue my own way. That is, I have rejected true wisdom because I think my own wisdom is better. So I have rejected the God for myself. So what that means is I have traded God for me. And I have placed myself as king. And in myself, there is no true wisdom. True wisdom begins by saying, I need to submit to God and stop trying to act as God. True wisdom, and someone who is godly, found, has God as their foundation. So a, godly, a, a wise person is someone who is godly. A wise person is also someone who is joyful. The pursuit of wisdom in God is the only thing that satisfies the only thing that genuinely satisfies, he fills us with absolute joy and absolute contentment. Solomon taught us this in Ecclesiastes, a book he wrote toward the end of his life, having lived and chosen on many occasions unwise things. He brings us to the conclusion of the matter in Ecclesiastes 12, and having gone through all of these things where he tried to find satisfaction and he tried to find joy, he comes to this end and he says that statement we know so well, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity, or everything is empty. It's all empty. And so a few verses down in Ecclesiastes 12, he says, let's, let's find out what it's really about. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Where am I going to find joy and satisfaction? Not in the thousand other things I try and pursue to fill my satisfaction and my joy. I will find my greatest satisfaction in worship of God. Proverbs 8, verse 32, Solomon writes, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed, and if you're here Wednesday, you'll know blessed is not just happy, it is a soul satisfaction. It is the deepest satisfaction and a complete and full joy. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me, and that is wisdom, findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. 
But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Or Proverbs 3, happy is the man that findeth wisdom. A wise person is godly. A wise person will be joyful. And finally, a wise person will be peaceful. One last scripture I'll take you to here. It's toward the end of the New Testament in James chapter 3. In uh, oops, let me find it. James chapter 3, the last few verses of that, that chapter, verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endued or given or full with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So James, through the inspiration of the Spirit here, tells us the difference between what worldly wisdom is or what natural wisdom is and what godly wisdom is. And natural worldly wisdom is temporal, selfish, and ungodly. Worldly wisdom seeks what satisfies me with a minimum of difficulty. Right? So when I come to a decision and I want to make what I think is a wise decision, I'm looking for what is going to uh, give me the greatest pleasure with a minimum of difficulty. That's how we understand a good and wise decision. What's going to give me the greatest pleasure or meet my ends without causing me too much trouble? It's selfish. And it never really satisfies. But he tells us here, God tells us here, that godly wisdom is much greater than that. Godly wisdom is selfless and peaceful. That is, it's looking not just for what is best for me, but what is best for God and for those around me? As, as a father, I cannot make a wise decision based on what makes me happy. Because it may cause my family to be in absolute misery. My call as a wise father is to make a decision which is best not for me, but for my family. To lead them into godliness as I pursue Christ. So it is selfless and peaceful. It is pure or full of integrity and sincere. It's peace-loving. It's gentle. That is, it's reasonable. It's considerate. It's willing to yield or it's teachable. It's full of mercy. Is we have concern for suffering and we are quick to forgive. An unwavering commitment to God and to God's truth. A wise person will have a life that is godly, joyful, and peaceful. So don't aim to make wise decisions. Pursue to be a wise person. Aim for something better, something greater, something more eternal than just making a wise decision. Set your life to be a wise person. Pursuit of wisdom boils down to this. Pursue God.
Wisdom is a life of worship. So seek God today. He will give you wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29, if we didn't know already, reminds us that God answered Solomon's request. God made him wise. He answered his request beyond. James 1 verse 5, which we referred to on a number of occasions, says if we ask wisdom of God, it says he will give wisdom. But notice in James 1 verse 5, he doesn't just say that he will give wisdom, but he says he gives it liberally. It is just like we've seen about God's love and about God's goodness. God is not stingy. When we seek God and we seek to live our life for him, God is going to pour out his goodness on us, including wisdom. So if you don't know Jesus as Savior, this is where it must begin. If you want to be a wise person, it must begin with Jesus. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord, in the reverence, the submission of our lives to God. It means wisdom is found when I recognize that God is king, not myself. And I submit to God as king. So instead of trying to rule my own life, I submit to him. And follow him, seeking forgiveness for my rebellion by believing Jesus to take the punishment that I deserve. Believe Jesus as Savior. Believer, have you been seeking wisdom to make wise decisions or to be a wise person? No matter where you are at right now, set your mind to seek wisdom, to live a life that rightly worships God, to be a person who is not seeking good decisions, but to be a wise person. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to hear again another of the great examples of faith as we see your work in the life of Solomon. We pray, dear God, that it would be an encouragement to us, that it would be a reminder to set our lives in worship. Dear God, that we would seek your face, not just your hand. It is that we would pursue you, not just what you do. So, dear God, as we seek you, give us wisdom. Let us be wise people in a world that desperately needs wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.